Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 9, we read, Passing from there, Jesus saw a man sitting at the tax office named Matthew, and said to him, Follow me. And having arisen, he followed him, and it came to pass that he was reclining in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners, having come, were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And having seen, the Pharisees said to his disciples, Why with the tax collectors and sinners does your teacher eat? But Jesus, having heard, said to them, The strong have not need of a physician, but the ill. So, go along and learn what it means, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then the disciples of John came near, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast much, but your disciples do not fast? So Jesus said to them, Can the sons of the bride chamber mourn while, even while the bridegroom is with them? Days will come, though, when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. <clears throat> but no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for it would pull away from the garment and tear and the tear would become worse. Nor do they put new wine into old skins. For the skins would burst, the wine would be spilled out, and the, skin, the skins would be destroyed. Rather, they put new wine into new skins, and both are preserved together. Let's breathe the word of prayer. O oh God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon that holy mountain. Grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Most people dread going to the doctor almost as much as they dread going to the dentist. Right, Daniel? <laughs> Those are two places we don't like to go generally. Whether it's for a, uh, just a checkup, in the case of a dentist, a cleaning, or whether it's to get to the root of a problem. We don't like being poked and prodded. And what's worse, we especially don't like getting shots. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have had shots before. One of the worst things to be told is this will only hurt a bit. They're acknowledging it's going to hurt some. Uh, or perhaps you've heard, you can expect some level of discomfort. What am I going to do with that? Thanks. We don't like what happens at the doctor. We don't like being messed with. We don't like the pain that sometimes is involved in healing. We don't like the discomfort that we sense when our problems are being handled. Jesus is presented to us in the gospel records as the great physician. He is the one who is able to heal our body and its ailments. He is the one, theologically we like to speak of him, healing our hearts and our souls. 
He's the one who on the inside is able to do a work of healing and cleansing to make us better. But this idea of Jesus as the great physician is not just limited to our bodies or our souls, but what we recognize in the Gospels is that Jesus is able to treat the whole person, the entirety of our personality, the entirety of who we are and our identity is able to be met by Him as the great physician. He offers healing to relationships, those relationships we have with others, and those relationships we have here seen in the life of Matthew with society. He's able to heal our self-understanding, what we recognize about ourselves and how we perceive ourselves, how we define ourselves, how we see value in ourselves. We speak of self-esteem, that sense of self-understanding that brings value or the lack thereof. Jesus is the great physician. And it's because he is the great physician, it's because he's able to treat the whole personality of the human person that Peter tells his hearers to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he might lift us up. For he cares for you. Therefore, we should cast all of our cares on him. All of our cares. Family cares. Financial cares. Cares related to employment. Cares related to looking for employment. Cares related to interpersonal conflicts. Cares related to business. All of those cares can be brought to the great physician and he is able to meet our need. Amen. That's the amazing things that we find in, in the gospel records. That Jesus, he, he's in command of all. The storm is raging and he's able to speak quiet to the waves. Those who can't see have their sight restored. Those who can't walk are able to get up, take up their bed and go home. But Jesus is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond that which we can think or imagine. And that is not just a physical matter, nor is it just a spiritual matter. That is a matter of the whole person. Every need, every pain, every hurt, everything that is wrong is able to be brought to Him for healing and restoration. We encounter here in this text one named Matthew. A, an outcast, so to speak, of the religious community. He was seen as the enemy. We spoke last week of one of them. Those on the other side. He was an outcast because he was an agent of Rome. He was a tax collector. And therefore he was working for Herod Antipas. He was one of those guys. One of those guys that you'll have to be reporting to in just a few weeks. One of those guys uh, for whom you're getting together all your W-2s and submitting them to uh, Trisha or Hallie or whoever does your taxes. Because of his station in life, 
He was an outcast. Nobody wanted to be around him. No self-respecting Jew wanted to have anything to do with tax collectors. That's why they're lumped together with the tax collectors and sinners here. Those people. That kind of folk. He was self-serving. He, he worked for Rome. He was a Jewish man working for Rome with Rome's military defense as his backup. And those taxes he collected were with interest. And that interest, whatever he could get out of it, was his. Tax collectors in first century Palestine were so despised and so rejected, so much religious outcast that they were unwelcome to even give alms. Their money was no good. They were unable to officially testify in a Jewish court. The Jewish people wanted nothing to do with these folks. They had betrayed their own people. They were working for the enemy. It's interesting. Matthew's name means gift of Yahweh. That's perplexing. Gift of Yahweh. Luke tells us that his, that his Jewish name was Levi, which would mean that he was of the Levitical tribe, the priestly families. Here's one who was born and raised to represent God's people to Yahweh. And he's one whose alms or whose money is not even good enough for alms because he's in cahoots with Rome, the oppressor. The scriptures tell us that he's reclining at table with Jesus. Luke tells us that it was at, at Matthew's own house that he had thrown a great feast, a great banquet. Jesus had approached Matthew and said, follow me. And the text here simply tells us he got up and he followed him. Presumably, Matthew is throwing a final farewell banquet. So all the tax collectors, all the folks with whom he's worked, they're there in the house, reclining at table with Jesus. And the Pharisees pick up on what's happening. And it's interesting, the Pharisees don't approach Jesus and accuse him of anything. They, they plant some seeds of doubt and seeds of embarrassment in the minds and hearts of his disciples. Why is it that your teacher is hanging out with this riffraff? These types of people. Don't you have a little bit of self-respect and a little bit of dignity? He's hanging out with the tax collectors. Those sinners. That type of folk. Jesus picks up on what they're saying and he draws their mind to the book of Hosea. The interesting thing about that text from Hosea that he makes mention of to them
I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says, why don't you guys go and study that idea for a bit? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The word mercy there in, in the Hebrew is hesed. That great, largely undefinable word, which has no other parallel, it's not just love, it's not just mercy. Some translations combine words, loving kindness. It's not just kindness. It's not just compassion. It's all those things piled into one. It is, generally speaking, the passionate and faithful love of a superior person to an inferior person, especially when it's undeserved. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you guys really ought to go and reconsider this text. God is looking for that type of merciful, kind, faithful, humble love. Not just the sacrifices that we can offer to Him. Not just those things we can give up. Not just those things that we can give to Him. Not just those things that, those checks that we write. He's looking for that type of self-emptying, self-forgetful love. Not the presumptive self-awareness of, oh goodness, what are they going to think when they see me with this clan? You guys think that every time you show up on Sunday mornings, admit it. <laughs> oh. Thankfully, it's at the back of the building, underneath. Maybe nobody will see. <laughs> Jesus gives us a glimpse of why he came to begin with. Humanity is ill and in need of a physician. I came not to call the righteous, not those who think they've got life put together, not those who have everything worked out, not, all, not those who have no conflicts, but I've come to call sinners to repentance, to heal that which ails If you are aware of your calendar and what's coming up, and if you've been listening to the announcements in the bulletin uh, for the last few weeks, you recognize there's, or you probably, hopefully recognize that there's a bit of a double meaning in the sermon title this morning. This will just hurt a bit. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and our colors go from white, the white of Epiphany, to the black, reminding us of our mortality, reminding us that from dust we have come and to dust we shall return. And Ash Wednesday kicks off the season of Lent in which we will see the color purple being reminded of our need for repentance and humility. Lent is a time of preparation, preparation for Good Friday in the Easter that follows. It's a time where we search ourselves. It's a time of self-evaluation and repentance. Lord, search me and try me. See if there's any wickedness in me. 
Purge me with hyssop. Make me clean. It's a time of reflection and self-denial. We associate Lent with fasting. What are you giving up? And you'll find in your Facebook feed, it'll be littered with people saying, I'm giving up this. You won't see me for 40 days, give or take. I'll be, I'll be giving up Facebook for Lent. We give up those things. We give up things. Now, interestingly, we should not be thinking of Lent as a time to give up sin. If there's sin in our lives, we should just stop. Amen. Um, so we don't fast from, Lord, I'm going to fast from doing things I know I ought not to do. <laughs> just stop that now. Don't wait till Wednesday. Um, we, those of the uh, Mardi Gras persuasion, we recognize that Tuesday is Fat Tuesday because that's the day where if you're giving up chocolate, you've got one day to get it all out of the house and how better to do it than to consume it. Um, if you're giving up you know, beef, get everything out of the freezer, get it thawed, get it grilled, and get it eaten. Um, so in fasting, we give up not sin. We shouldn't be sinning to begin with. We give up those things for which we have an appetite. When God called Israel to fast in the Old Testament, He called them to fast from meals, not because meals are sinful. Part of the creation narrative is that God gave man food. He calls them to fast, to give up those things for which their bodies, and their persons crave. It's helpful. It's a good discipline. It's a good practice. It'll only hurt a bit. Lent does not go on forever. Lent will end. Fasting does always end in feasting. That's the great thing about God. The great thing about God and His commands, even in the Old Testament. We think of God as angry and bitter and mad at everybody in the Old Testament. Wanting everybody to give up eating and not ever do anything that's fun. God had a, a marvelous system of feasts in the Old Testament where they were to celebrate God's presence and celebrate God's deliverance. Celebrate what God had done. Lent does end with Easter. Baskets of boiled eggs and candy, chocolate. If you're like, um, like our family, you get that thing that you gave up. So it's kind of a, kind of a joyous, um, a, a joyous uh, surrender. You know, you give up Coca-Cola and hey, for Easter, she got me three cases of Coca-Cola. That's awesome. But we give up those things for which we've developed an appetite. I do want to encourage you this Lenten season to find something in your life that's not sinful. If it's sinful, just stop it now. But find something in your life that would be a sacrifice 
a, a self-denying sacrifice to give up. Maybe you really enjoy watching television and you would consider, I'm going to give up television for Lent. Maybe you really like sweets. Lord, I'm going to abstain from sweets throughout this Lenten season. Maybe it's soft drinks. Maybe it's sweet tea. Maybe it's caffeine. Give up caffeine, you're talking regular coffee, which is there any other kind? Regular tea, is there any other kind? Soft drinks, a number of things. But carefully consider, Lord, what is it that, that I could use walking away from? That I could use saying, you know what? I could do without that. If there's, in fact, if there's something in your life that you can't imagine giving up for 40 days, you might ought to. Before you make your commitments, however... I've got some ground rules that I want to share with you. First of all, keep quiet. Don't post it on Facebook. If you're walking away from Facebook, just walk away from Facebook. Don't, don't, you don't have to get all melodramatic and say, everybody wish me farewell, I'm leaving Facebook for, for Lent. That, that defeats the whole purpose of fasting. Fasting is an inner discipline, and those inner disciplines that we try to make outer Jesus told his disciples, we've already gotten our reward. There's no benefit to it. You've gotten the pat on the back that you were looking for. What else do you want? So keep quiet about it. If you need to share with someone, uh, as a pastor, it's funny, I always get told what everybody's abstaining from, and I don't know if, if that's because they're just talking and telling everybody or if it's because they want a little bit of an accountability. So if you need to share with someone, a spouse or a close friend, what it is you're giving up, that's fine. But let's not make it a, a you know, public, public spectacle of how good and faithful we are in giving up television or Facebook or Coca-Cola. The second ground rule is skip Sundays. And this is actually important. Skip Sundays. Jesus said to John's disciples when they had come to him, Lord, why is it we and even those Pharisees, I know you don't like those guys, but we and even the Pharisees fast. And your disciples don't fast. And Jesus said, what good is it for the friends that you show up to the wedding, you can't say, no, I'm not going to celebrate. No, I'm not going to, no, I don't want any punch. I don't want any of the shrimp cocktail. No, I don't want any of the cake. You show up at a, at a wedding to celebrate. You show up on the Lord's Day to celebrate Christ's risenness. That's why we worship on Sundays. It is the Lord's Day. It's the day of the resurrection. He is risen. And so even though we walk through a dark season of Lent, a season in which we deny ourselves, a season in which we search ourselves and we repent, Sunday is a reason to celebrate. It is not a time for fasting. It is a time for feasting. So again, back to my point, if you can't give up something for 40 days, being able to skip once every seven days, you probably ought to consider giving it up. Skip Sundays. And then thirdly, add something. Out with the bad, in with the good. Out with the bad, in with the good. If, if you're abstaining from, from something 
for this Lenten season, make sure that you're adding in some self-discipline. Adding in something to benefit you. Adding in something by which God's grace can meet your needs and minister to you. We think of fasting during a mealtime as just saying, no thanks, I'm not going to eat. That's not fasting. Fasting is spending time in prayer. Fasting is spending time in the Scriptures. Fasting is spending time where, wherein God is able to replace that which we've given up. Otherwise, we're just skipping a meal. We're just doing a really weird diet. So make sure that you're adding something into your spiritual reservoir. To help you in that, I want to provide a, um, a reading list. I want to encourage you. I'll pass those out, please. I want to encourage you to read with me through the Gospel of Matthew this season. Even though we don't fast on Sundays, I've put texts for Sundays on there to, because it's always good to be reading the Scriptures each day. Um, I've divided up Matthew's 28 chapters into... Uh, consumable sections. Some of these sections are going to be larger than others. Some of them are going to be quite small compared to others. But on there, there's a, a place for you to read the, read the Scripture each day and check it off beginning this coming Wednesday and then ending on Easter Sunday, which is April the 20th, the day before my birthday. And then you all can celebrate a feast with me that very next day. Please note also I've put on here some, uh, some of the significant holidays. Of course, Ash Wednesday, each of the Sundays of Lent. Um, the feast day of St. Patrick, March the 17th. Palm Sunday and all the days of Holy Week. But then also I've put on here, just so that you won't miss it, next Sunday is, is when Daylight Saving Time begins. So spring forward, that means you'll lose an hour, is that right? It's going to be rough. Go ahead and plan now. Next Sunday, don't miss it. In addition to these ground rules, I think it's helpful to ask the question, why fast? Isn't that an Old Testament thing? Isn't that something that is legalistic and it's something only, only... the Jewish people were required to do? Well, why fast? Because Jesus said so. Notice the, the implication of what He says. There is a time when the, when the bridegroom will be taken away from His disciples, those friends or sons of the bride chamber, and then they will fast. It's implicit in Jesus' words that His body, His church, is to experience times of fasting. And then secondly, you need it. I need it. We need that self-discipline that comes with self-denial. There may be nothing in the world wrong with drinking Coca-Cola. There may be nothing in the world wrong with spending a little bit of time on Facebook, connecting with friends from high school and that sort of thing. 
But it is good and helpful to us to every once in a while in life say, this thing that is perfectly fine, perfectly healthy, I'm going to make sure that I have control over it in my life and that it's not controlling me. I'm going to step away from it. Food is good. Eating all day nonstop is not good. And I mean nonstop. People can graze and that sort of thing. Some doctors think that that's healthier. But there comes a point where you say, all right, I've had enough, and you step away. Connecting with friends is good. That's helpful. But constantly reading what foods they're eating and what color shirt they're wearing and how it's ironic that they and their coworker are matching or there comes a point where you where it's helpful to say all right I'm going to step away from that we need that self discipline that comes with a posture before God of denying ourselves So I want to encourage you. On the back of your communication cards, there's that place where you can respond and say, it is my intention to pray this, to do this, and to become that. Think about what your prayer would be to God this morning. Think about what behavior, what activity you want to commit to God this morning and think about what it is you want God to shape you into becoming this morning. And please make use of this communication card. Drop it off in the offering plate at the back of the sanctuary when the service is over. But then also notice that on your bulletin you've got a very similar place of response. Hang on to your bulletin. Write your response in there on your bulletin. That way you can hang on to it and you can be reminded, this was my prayer on Sunday. This is what I've committed to do on Sunday. This is what I'm hoping to become by God's grace. Please take a moment. Let's have just a a few moments of quiet reflection and quiet prayer before the band comes. And before they play, I will say a word of prayer over us.